just pray right now and uh, ask the Lord to minister to us. Lord, we are not alone. And God, we are in the boat with you. And countless times, you have cared for us. So God, our confidence is in you. And Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, just pour out on these words. Lord, that they would not fall to the ground, that they would bear life to the hearers. I want to pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So you go ahead and turn to Mark 8. Uh, 22. Last week we talked about, and what has been for me uh, an amazing just sort of journey is that for me as a Christian, I have to stop and look back like the disciples that Jesus has always provided. So Jesus fed the 5,000 plus, and, and they didn't know where it was going to come from. Jesus provided. Then Jesus fed the 4,000 plus. Jesus healed people. Jesus did all these things. Time and time and time again, he provided, he healed, he cared for. And so why should I get in the boat with Jesus for the 50th time, get in a boat and wonder, how is he going to take care of this? But that has been my... Uh, operating point in my life. I'm just confessing. I confessed it last week. I'm just walking in it. My operational point is to go immediately, how can I fix this problem? And think of all the different ways it's going to impact different people and go all around and circle the wagon and just go, I got to do this and I got to do this and I got to do this and I got to go do this and worry and fret about it Time and time, minute after minute, after hour after hour, and then when all hope is lost, go to my knees in prayer. Now, I'm not saying that's every time, but I'm saying by and large, it's the cycle of my thinking has been broken. And I have been renewing my mind these past two weeks. I have been working on it. So I'm just going to look, hopefully it's encouraging to you that I have to work on this. You know, you are not alone. If you're struggling, you're not alone. And this past two weeks for me has been somewhat refreshing. That man, I don't have to carry the bags. I don't have to carry the load. I don't have to carry the weight. And Jesus, as we're going to see, and in the past has constantly he took the load and he went to the Father and just laid it before him and said, God, not my will, but yours be done. Here's the weight of the people, the things you're carrying. Would you do a work? Jesus was the example for us on how we're to act. And so I just want to say, I hope if we say we believe head, heart, hands, I hope there is actual application to what we're learning and not just a head thing going on here. You know, I would love to, to hear back, and if you have testimonies, we want to start having regular testimonies. If God has shown you even a simple thing that has been profound for you, other people need to hear it. And we will give time in the, at the sermon time for you to give a testimony to what God is doing. But for me this week, this past two weeks, as the troubles come, it's this. It's this. No more is it this, because this heart can't take it anymore. 
This blood pressure can't take it anymore. But I know a Father in heaven who carries the load, and in him I'm trusting. Mark 8, verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and some blind, and people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. So something interesting to note, people brought him to him. It's not like they, it says that he came to Jesus. They brought him to Jesus and they said, would you heal him? We don't know for sure what the backstory is, but they brought him to be healed. Verse 23, and he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. This is the only time in the Gospels in Jesus' ministry that's recorded where his laying on of hands and healing did not have full effect. That should bring some questions up for us. Why is it, we say Jesus is God, right, in the flesh, incarnate, Jesus laid hands on him, and literally, we're going to see, spit on this guy's eyes, and he immediately, it says he opened his eyesight, or, uh, and he said, he looked at him and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. So it was blurry to him. So chances are, this man had seen before, because he knew what trees looked like, all right? Sort of just sort of a logical progression of things to think about. He had seen before, but now the first time Jesus touched him, he saw trees walking. Now, it just sort of brings me of a story of when I was in basic training. It, it probably doesn't relate to anything, but it always makes me laugh when I think about closing my eyes. There was a drill sergeant, I still remember his name, um, who came up to me and he was talking to a bunch of people and he had a newspaper and he's like, he looked at me, and he's like, something like private Olson. They always say something smart. He took the newspaper, and he wound it up like this. He said, I want you to close your eyes. I'm like, yes, drill sorry. And I closed my eyes, and he whacked me on the head. And I opened my, and he, and, he, and he said, okay, open your eyes. And he says, do you know who hit you? I'm like, no. He said, all right, you're not going to follow anything, right? No, I don't know who hit me, drill sorry, right? So he hit me, and so, like, I've done that to my kids and youth group kids all along. Close your eyes, whack, and let them go. But Jesus touched him, and he saw these trees. People were walking like trees. Then Jesus laid hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. So we're going to be talking about three visions today. Three visions. If you want to take notes, you sort of follow in. And we're going to start off with a dim vision. Well, I guess you could really start off with no vision. but So you can make four. But today I'm going to focus on dim vision first. Again, this is the only time it did not happen right away. And you might question that. So why is it Jesus touched him once and then he had dim vision? You have to go back to last week. When they got on the boat with Jesus, they had saw all that he had done. And then they said, we forgot the bread. If you, if you recall, we forgot the bread. And he said, you are just dim-witted, Eric's version. You, you are such short-sighted people. 
Your vision is not there. You don't have ears to hear. You're just beginning to hear. They had experienced God. Maybe you're here today that you have had some vision in the past, but now you're dark now. It's dim. They had begun to see God work and begun to see and begun to see. And so this blind person was brought, and I'm going to say maybe you're here today and you're in some spiritual condition. Maybe you have no vision Maybe you've been completely blind, and by saying that, maybe you've never been touched by Jesus Christ and seen, and that's okay. It's a safe place for you to be here, but maybe you have a dim vision. Maybe you walked in darkness for a while. Maybe you started exploring things that your, your blindness came, a spiritual blindness came that sort of shadowed over your, your, your ability to see spiritually. Anyone ever experienced that before? I'll put my hand up. You ever just sort of walked in your own funk for a while and it just gets dark all around you and the, whether it's depression or anxiety or just plain out pridefulness of sin, it just sort of covers over you and you begin to be introspective and dark. But here, Jesus laid hands on his eyes again and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Of course, I'm thinking of the old song, I can see clearly now. The rain is gone. But it took a touch from Jesus, and it took a second touch from Jesus. So I want you to get from this, spiritual growth is progressive. Spiritual growth growth, growth can also be regressive. So you start off as an unbeliever with no sight spiritually, And then maybe you have a dim sight spiritually, and then you get touched again by Jesus, and then things begin to open up, and then your vision gets clear. In verse 26, the story continues. He went to his home saying, do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? Look at, notice this. The disciples are on a way, are on a traveling point, are moving with Jesus as Jesus begins to open up things to them. Your journey with Jesus, let me just say it a different way, this quote, uh, faith means actively following Jesus on the way. So these disciples, although they had dim vision on the boat, and they begun to see, and we're going to see where they see clearly here in a a minute, but they had to walk with Jesus even when their vision was dim and continue to have faith while on the way with Jesus. So I would propose to you that it is okay to have a dim vision for a season when you're walking with Jesus. The disciples walked right with Jesus. They saw him physically. We don't see him physically, but we see him spiritually. And sometimes we have been dimmed out. And I just want to encourage you that as long as we're walking on the way with him, then our faith is going to continue to grow. But they went in, and he just asking, who do people say that I am? Verse 28, and they told him, John the Baptist, 
and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. Clear vision. Peter is beginning, and you're going to see he regresses. Peter is beginning to see. Peter's like, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And that is like, you just want to go, yes, Peter, you got it. But he, he messes it up right away. But he sees clearly for a moment. Some of you have had moments of spirituality where you see razor sharp. Just see it and see it. And God gives you clarity, and then you walk away from it, and it's gone. Jesus, or Peter, had razor clarity here. What does Jesus say? Verse 30, he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. So here, let me ask you a question. And this is a time for some response. Who does the world, or what does the world say Jesus is? What is our context? What does people that you meet out on the streets, who do they say Jesus is? Good person? What else? Prophet? All right, what else? That he wasn't real? Well, he might have been a person, right? Maybe just physically alive. What else they say about Jesus? That he's not the only way, right? He's just one way. Great point. What else they say about Jesus? He's a what? He's a crutch. Oh, you just got Jesus because you're weak and you need a crutch. For that before, right? I have. What else? He's not real. What else? A moral teacher, right? He says some good things. Anything else? So that's what we hear the world saying, right? These are the things that go into it. And, and I think that the problem we're going to see is this transition. This story begins to transition because Jesus says, who do they say that I am? And I'm not going to go into the, the people, what they thought Jesus could be and all that stuff. But Peter, you're the Christ. You're the promised Messiah. You're going to do this wonderful thing. And in verse 30, he just says, don't tell anybody about this. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed after three days, rise again. Listen, he says that he began to instruct them clearly for the first time. There's no parable here anymore. There's no weird story to figure out. I am going to suffer and die, and I'm going to raise up again in three days. And he said, verse 32, said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, here's where I want to crash on Peter. How can you take Jesus, 
who you saw do the miracles, you saw do all this stuff, pull him aside and chastise him after just saying he is the Christ. Right, that's where my, my earthly mind wants to go. But then as soon as I look in the mirror of faith in my own life, I think I have at times rebuked Jesus for not being who I thought he should be. I would propose to you that we as a people, broadly, have thought that Jesus was going to do a certain thing for us personally, a certain work for our family, and it was going to go exactly how we thought it was going to work, a certain work in our schools, maybe, or in our uh, church life, a certain work in our state, maybe a certain work in our nation. Jesus said to us, I have come to suffer. I am a suffering servant. You are to go and do likewise. You are my disciples. And I think we want to go, Jesus, come here for a second. Let me come speak to you privately so I can tell you what you're really supposed to be doing. Story of my life. I feel like the blinders are being like pulled off. I feel like the disciples that Jesus, like you don't have ears to hear. You're not having eyes to see because you've been trying to fix it all along. You've been dependent, not just, you've been dependent on me. Like, look, I'm not saying I'm a bad person. I'm not saying there's no faith in me, but I've had my foot here in faith world and my foot here in, in trying to do it myself. And frankly, sometimes this part has been more, I, I can feel this part more, and so I've de, de, uh, depended on this part more. You ever walked through that before? You're just struggling with your own thoughts, trying to fix things yourself, when God says we're to walk in faith, not by sight. But turning to his disciples, seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. How often do we look for signs? How often do we look for things to happen instead of walking in faith? Instead of walking as our faith grows on the way. Folks, I want to be a church that immediately the dependency that we have for any need, for any problem, for any difficulty would be, God, this is your problem. God, what are you going to do? God, what would you have me to do? I am going to sit and wait on you, God. That's my question is, is that how you see Jesus this morning? Who do you say that he is? Is he a political savior? Is he a nation changer? Or is he a sovereign God who has a purpose for his people that we're called to get behind and be united on and to trust him in faith for every step? I have never gone seriously without. I've read the stories of missionaries. 
um, particularly this one in China, and I'm blanking on his name right now, but he had an orphanage, and they ran out of food, and literally they just sat there and prayed, asking for God's provision, and a knock comes at the door. What will it look like when we as a people who our identity is in Christ, not in the political Savior, but is in Christ, that we become transformed by the working of his spirit, that the dependency on what we do is found in him, that we express faith and joy like we never had before, and then people might go, he's not a crutch, is he? He's everything. He's a wheelchair. He's creating that dead body you have around, and he's walking you in faith. I can't wait. I am excited for what this is going to be like. Verse 34, he called the crowd to him with the disciples. He said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Some of you are older like I am. Some of you are older and some of you are not so much older. And I think that we can all share in that desire to do great things for Jesus and we should have the heart for that. But that work, I don't think fully takes place until we deny ourselves. Deny ourselves of what we think our satisfaction is found in deny ourselves what we think is going to make us happy? Don't we tell kids all the time what's going to make them happy and we ask them to trust us? Parents of teenagers, do you tell your kids? Have you told your kids? I'm not, you're right. This is what you do. Trust me, the world says this, but you need to do this. Just trust me on that. And the kids are looking at you and they're listening to the world, right? And they're listening to you. And they're listening to the world. Who's going to win that fight? The, the world can win the fight. But who the kid listens to and trusts the most is going to win that fight. If we, like children, hear from the world over here you got to do this. you got to do this to find success. Look at all the people that are killing themselves. People with millions of dollars and everything going for them. Suicide rates off the charts. Medications overload. All these things are growing. All the entertainment that we can take just blowing up all around us. Trips everywhere. Facebook, this is going on. If you just do this, you just do this. And people are killing themselves because they cannot find joy because they're listening to the world. They're listening to the ways of the, of the uh, ruler of this world. And they're not listening to the message of Jesus Christ. Do we have a message? Who do we say Christ is? So I'm going to open it up again. Who do you say Christ is? Huh? Savior? Lord of my life. Would you define that loudly, if you can, loudly enough? That he 
okay? Lord of my life. So if you got Savior, that's when you go from blind to maybe dim vision. You know, I'm blind, but now I see. Um, and then you move into just sort of, what does that look? Okay. I'll, no, I didn't mean that. Yes, sir. Faith what? Your faith, Jesus said your faith and your hope in what? Everything. All right, someone else. Who's Jesus to you? A rock. The rock, the solid rock which we stand, right? Someone else. Would you all agree with what is being said here? Yes, Herb. Ooh. Deepest source of real love. You get an extra bagel this morning, sir. The deepest source of real love. That's money right there. The only truth. The only way. Now let me, do we all agree with those things? They sound good, right? What do your neighbors see? What do people at work see? What do people on Facebook see? What does God see as the reality of those things? Folks, we have to realize if we go from dim, dim to um, clear vision, we have to move to a compelling vision. It's one thing to acknowledge Jesus is God. He's the Lord and Savior of my life. I can theologically understand that. God saved me. I am, uh, my sins were put on him. His righteousness was put on me. It's imputed. I can understand that. Uh, I'm called. He's given me the Holy Spirit to walk and live. He's put that on me. I'm called to walk in him. I can understand that. But when the troubles come tomorrow at 8 a.m., when the phone rings, when this happens, how does that translate? And I think you see the disciples walking through this, so this is not a beat-me-down session. Here we see the disciples. They did get in a boat with Jesus. They dimly understood. They followed him on the way. Their faith was incrementally increasing. That should give you hope. And then Peter unleashes clear, compelling vision. You are the Christ. You are Savior. You are Lord. You're the deepest root of love, the, the, the best that there is, God. You're everything. And then 10 seconds later, Jesus, wait a second, second. This is not how you're supposed to be in my life. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Verse 35, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. <clears throat> for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me 
and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes into the glory of his Father with his holy angels. We need to have a compelling vision centered in Jesus, empowered by the Spirit to know who he is, but also begin to know who we are. I was meeting with a few gentlemen who mentioned that a uh, sermon on this was spoken and led into what does it mean to worship. So I want to give you something to think about. When you are telling God where your confidence is, when you worship, if you're saying, God, you're my all in all, God, you are holy, 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 you are just, you are right, you are my faith, you are the source of love, you're my eternal security, you're all this God, that's who you are, that when you are doing that and it's rooted out of your heart, you're not worried about who's beside you, you're not worried about putting on a show, you're just before God in your closet, in church on Sunday, wherever it is, in your car, jamming down the street, and you just go, God, this is who you are. He begins to reveal who you are. He begins to reveal your identity. Worship isn't about feeling good. It's about encountering a holy, just God who says we are to glorify his name, who says we're to give him all praise that is due, who says we are to be unfettered before him, so that when we do that, we begin to understand who we are as children of God. I did not learn who my dad was. I would not have learned who my dad is if I didn't spend time with him. Worship is beginning to understand who our Father is, and he begins to tell us who we are. So where's your vision this morning? If you have no vision, your hope is found in Jesus. He will give you vision. He Ask him to touch you. Is your vision dim? Maybe you saw before, but now you're dim again. Maybe just confess that before God. I've done it. If I've done it once, I've done it a thousand times. God, my vision's dim. Help recover. And it's like he comes and he brings, and it's on the way. It's not a miraculous touch usually. It's as I'm being obedient to follow him on the way when he's doing his work. Maybe you have a clear vision, but that clear vision you can identify, you understand, but it needs to turn into a compelling vision that creates in you a ability, uh, an ability to die to yourself and take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow him. Church, that's my prayer for you this morning. It's my prayer for me this morning. Follow Jesus, trust Jesus, see Jesus, and be compelled by his love. Worship him as he identifies who you are as his son and daughter and walk in newness of life. And we're going to see the disciples gave, as we go through Mark, they gave their life for the one he believed in, they believed in. Would you please stand as we pray? Heavenly Father, as we come to the table, we come as people who I pray are hungry, are you hungry, church? 
Do you want more Jesus in your life? He's there. He's all there. Just our vision might need touching. God, we just come to you with various vision. Lord, asking that you would progress us to where we see you face to face. God, that we deny ourselves, deny our flesh in order to experience sonship and daughtership. Understand how sweet it is to be adopted into the family of God, to experience love that is real, that is true, and is not fake. God, thank you for sharing that with me, a sinner, a broken man. Lord, as we come to the cross or to the um, table, Lord, we remember what you did and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please come. Mm -hmm.